hour and a half we have um, and how we can get the most out of this guru <laughs> of public relations. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so we will focus on three main subjects. Uh, the first one is the North American festivals. David is North American based, so we'll go over which are the most important ones and some examples. The second, we will look into the public relations for international films, as I presume there's not too many North Americans in the room, uh, but most of us are European or Asian or Latin American. What is it like to bring a foreign language film into the US from a festival perspective, and of course, how to find audiences there and which festivals. And then the third is, as a publicist, David also works sometime on a theatrical release within North America, finding audiences like that. Uh, it's not always theatrical, but very interesting there is also, I think, to know how does that work um, <clears throat> in that sense. So maybe a few more questions for the audience. Anybody already worked with a publicist? Please raise your hand. One, two, three, okay. Producers in the room? <laughs> okay, fantastic. Any festival people? No festivals. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> drink is here, great. Any public relations in the room? Freddie? Freddie's here. <laughs> we have uh, one of great honor to have Freddie Neumann yes. uh, out of Denmark, uh, international, public, an international publicist working on many films working here actually on several films. So um, maybe we can also ask him from time to time, get his know-how. Um, so the thing actually with David is that, as, um, as, as Adric mentioned, I used to work for a sales agent, and the thing was that if you had a film at the North American Festival, it was selected, the thing you did was you send it to David, and you really prayed that he would take the film, right? Because then you knew public relations would be done. So um, it's a great honor, and I would ask for one big round of applause for David Bagdale before he comes. And my first question to start is like, uh, as I used to be a sales agent, and, and not that smart, um, public relations. Please explain to me the basics like I'm a six-year-old. <laughs> so basically, um, well, first of all, good afternoon. It's so great to be here. Um, it's my first time being here at IFA, but I've worked on documentaries since 1999. So I've worked on, a, I counted today, about 350-plus films over these the past uh, 16 years. And it's an honor to be here because documentaries are my passion. And I feel very lucky that I'm in a position where I have a job that I love and I get to you know, work day to day um, on projects that we love and with filmmakers who are just as passionate. And that's really key in terms of us being together, working together on these films, is that, you know, on, on the PR side of things, what Peter was asking to talk about, you know, in terms of like explaining to him like a six-year-old, basically our job when we come on is to work together with you as filmmakers or you as producers or anyone who's doing sales. In terms of positioning your film, at different festivals. Um, we work on festival publicity, we do um, theatrical publicity as well as broadcast publicity, and then we also work on 
um, awards and Oscar campaigns for documentaries uh, as it gets closer to award season. So right now in the U.S. we're kind of like in the throes of award season, so we're working on a lot of films that are there. Um, for publicity's sake, you know, when you, you get your film into the festival, let's say like in a North American festival like Sundance or Tribeca, you know, you'll want to bring on a team of people. Um, your salespeople who are going to be selling both uh, domestic and whoever your salespeople are for international, as well as, you know, a publicity team and a publicist to work with you, especially in the larger festivals like Sundance, Tribeca, um, you know, Toronto, LA Film Festival, South by Southwest, um, and a number of others that, that might need assistance where they can at least walk you through what the different uh, scenarios are at those festivals because it gets kind of crazy. And for example, with Sundance, and that seems to be a big one for us in the, in, in the US, gets a little crazy there. And so you want to have someone who's going to navigate those waters with you as the filmmaker so that you can be the filmmaker that's been invited to the circus or to this party. So because for us, as public relations people, we're trying to, one, build the awareness of your film. Also, find champions within the press corps as well as people on the ground who are influencers who can talk about your film so that way your film is positioned as that film to see at the festival. Number three, work with your sales agents so that way we're positioning the film in the press so that way it's something that we can help with possibly influencing the sale. And then in addition, working with you as the filmmaker so that way you're comfortable you're the ones that's going to be going out selling the film as much as we are, but actually be the face of it. So when you're at these festivals, people want to talk to you in line and they find out that you have this festival. And, I mean, you have this film in the festival, and then if you're at any kind of events that are part of that, we want to make sure that you're comfortable uh, being out there and doing that. And on our end, on the press side of things, we're looking at where is it that we can do any interviews for you? Where is it that we can get any reviews for you? Um, what's really important that we find on the sales side of things is if it's the world premiere of the film at, this, at the festival is to look at trade reviews. So what really matters to a lot of these people that are looking to buy your film would be the industry like uh, The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Variety, Screen International, and IndieWire. They all seem to be the ones that have big influences. Is that what you guys think about? Mm -hmm. You know, those are the ones that people, you know, we know that the buyers that are looking at say, well, what did Variety say? What did this, you know, what did IndieWire say? So they're looking uh, a lot at that. So we're looking at, you know, positioning that the film, you know, at the festival as one of those, as the film to see at, at, at that festival so that everybody can um, participate in it. And also, people who are at these festivals, they're always wanting to be like in the middle of what is that hot movie or that hot film. So we're dealing with a, uh, a group of people who are just thinking they want to see the next big thing. And so we want to position the film as the next big thing. So we look at champions. So for example, at Sundance, we know that there are certain um, uh, film critics and film writers who everybody takes a listen to. So for example, the main film critic from Los Angeles Times is someone we want to get to and make sure that we're included in his, what they call curtain raisers. So these are like the what to watch when you come to this film festival. Every festival will have a curtain raiser that's done by their local press, or if it's at, um, at Sundance, it would be LA Times, it would be IndieWire, it would be Variety, Hollywood Reporter, any of those major um, types of publications. Then we're looking at people who also we know might have what I call big mouths, so they talk to everybody. And there's certain people that we know certain films will resonate with, and so we'll go to them, and maybe we'll let them see it early so that we can get their take on it. And that's just important as we start to position you know, the film before we even get to the opening of the festival. 
But what's really key is once you guys get accepted to any of these festivals, really to start putting that team together with your salespeople, with your, your publicists, and then have all your producers work together. I think what's really important when you find people that they're taking on, that they have the same kind of passion that you guys have had, that you bring to this project. That it's not just gonna be this film and their slate of things that they're gonna be having there because I think that's gonna be the big difference in how they, they um, position and sell your film. In addition to that, we work with you on all of your press materials. So if you bring us on, we start working on looking at what are those press materials that we're gonna put out there that will be out there and available for the press and everybody to take a look at. So we'll start first with your press kit. We'll also look at your, um, your photo set. What's gonna be, you know, what is it that we're gonna be looking for? And then also, uh, are there clips that we can be using? And normally I only look for um, two clips at about a minute each. That if we get you on any kind of television or anything that's, you know, video on the internet that we can pull from that and then the producers from those shows can pull from whatever one minute piece that we would have for them to take a look at. Also too, if, you're, if you need, we also do a lot of media training both with the director and then your subjects as well. Um, oftentimes, the films that we work on have very sensitive subjects like um, molestation or someone who's been under very like tough circumstances. So we like to sit with them and get find out what their comfort level is, find out what questions that they don't want to answer, what what's going to be you know what are they comfortable with. So we'll do a session with them and the subjects and the director so that everybody together is presenting on the same on the same page. Um, so we'll do a lot of that. Um, and then we just want to make sure that the, the team, that, the, that you have this team that's going to be really a safe place, I think, for these filmmakers as they start to birth this, this, um, this film. And because I think that's important because you as filmmakers are nervous about finally showing it to an audience. And we want to make sure that your comfort level is really you know, at that place where you feel, you'll be nervous, but we just want to make sure that you're comfortable at least presenting the film and understand that you guys have a team of people behind you. I think that's most important. You know, in addition to us behind the scenes running around making sure that we can get all the press interviews and all the reviews and things like that as well. To get an idea, um, your company, how big is it? How small is it? And when you go to a festival like Tribeca or Sundance, um, how many films do you take on? So to have that idea, in that sense. You know, um, our, film, our company during the year, it's uh, four of us. And when we go to Sundance, we usually beef up and bring other people on, so there's eight. There's eight of us that go. Um, and we make sure that we're covering everything. Um, at Sundance, we'll take on anywhere from six to eight films. Just depends on, you know, what the workload is. Also, what we need to do in terms of, like, how much work we need to be taken care of. One year, I don't know what, why we did, but we ended up taking ten films. And it was a lot, but I mean, we got a lot done, but everybody got sick when we got back. And so... You know, we just want to make sure that we have because it was too much work. It was, it was a lot of work and it was yeah. cold. Yeah. But we just want to make sure that um, you know that we can give the time enough time to each one of the films. So usually it'll be about six because there's six of us that will work on the films as, as we go along, and so each one will take one. And with our team and the way we pick the films is really the films have to speak to us, or at least somebody on the team it has to speak to somebody. I, it's, it's, I can't work on films that I can't get behind, and you know we want to make sure that again, like I said that we bring the same passion you guys bring to the project. Um, you know, so we'll take anywhere between, yeah, around six. You know, six is usually like the maximum. And 
you, you mainly do documentaries. How did you get to documentaries? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's like, it's just one of those things that uh, kind of happen. I mean, documentaries for me personally speak to me um, only because I come from mostly community background. My background before I went into film was I was doing public affairs work mostly on hospitals and in um, and medical, uh, medical issues. And so I was doing a lot of that, that work. And then I, I also run the uh, Los Angeles Asian Film Festival in LA so I've always been that film kind of person, but then there's an opportunity in 1999 that popped up in a, a filmmaker that I knew from uh, New York. His girlfriend got nominated for an Oscar, and they had asked, hey, would you come and do our Oscar campaign? It was a short documentary. And I said, yeah, I can do that. And it was one of those things that just kind of worked, and then it belonged to HBO. HBO liked what we did. She, the film won the Oscars that year, and then it went on, and HBO called and said, hey, would you do the broadcast you know, publicity? I mean, it was one of those things where I spent $700 on a book that had a list of all the um, editors and producers of all the different um, media outlets that we needed to go to, and it just kind of started from there. And then since then, you know, HBO had given me the start, and then just for some reason, the documentary spoke to me. And as I've gotten, you know, over the years, they, they are just like some of the best stories. And I like being around people who've been, you know, doing something and been necessary that, that were there, you know, accomplished something or been around, you know, something that, that made them look at their lives. And so for for me personally, it's just, you know, being at that moment, like at a Sundance or someplace where the filmmaker is about to um, birth the film, and just being there to see what that audience reaction is going to be. And you can see lives change, both from the subjects as well as the filmmakers. Yeah, you can really feel that there, I'm sure. Uh, so you prefer to start working when? when Usually we get called um, right when the film gets into a or, um, or just before they're, they're accepted, like someone had called and said, look, we've applied to X amount of film festivals. We're trying to put together our team now. Um, and a lot of times I'll get called from the sales agent. Um, so the sales agent will call and say, you know, we've got these films that are applying. Would you take a look at these and see if this is something that you'd, you'd work on? Um, and over the years, we've really, you know, created a relationship with these film sales companies that they know which ones we would probably take to or which ones we would you know, be the right people to, um, to work with. Oftentimes we get a lot of first-timers, first-time filmmakers who've never been to the rodeo like at Sundance or at Tribeca, so they're able to you know, ease them in and you know, having a large team that can also help you know, ease the, uh, the way for the filmmakers and for the subject. So it, just, it really just depends. So we work with, with your former um, uh, film sales company, which was Outlook, and here we work with uh, Cats and Docs, Last year, I worked with Philippa Kowalski and her company. And in the US, um, Submarine Entertainment, um, Synetic Media, uh, Preferred Content, and sometimes the film sales company, and then also CAA and WME. Um, we prefer to work with these companies that really have the same work ethic, because for us, it's really about trying to help get that film sold you know, at the festival and really kind of raise the awareness of that and looking at all the different scenarios that we have to deal with in terms of like positioning film as like that must-see film at the festival. Well, I would suggest what I forgot to mention actually is that um, we want to make this really interactive. So if there is a question, uh, please do not hesitate, right? Oh yeah, sorry. Thanks. Um, 
<laughs> because it's all recorded and the session, so that's why you have to use Sorry, it. Sorry, I was just curious, you mentioned a book that had 900 media contacts. Oh, back in the day it was called Bacon's Book of Lists. <laughs> okay. I, paid, I, I like dipped in and put out $700, it was the best $700 I ever had. It had an email address of everything. It had, you know, it had everything, you know, I knew, it's interesting because when I first started I was always like a pop media kind of a person, so I'd read everything. So when they said, hey, can you do this Oscar campaign? It's like, yeah, I could do that. I know which ones to go to and what. But I didn't know who the right people were. You know, I, I knew like the outlets, but, so there was this book that I, you know, found out about. So I spent the $700 on that book and then just kind of went into it that way. And, you know, and thank goodness for HBO because they kept giving me more films. The next year, they gave me a short documentary that went to the Oscars and it won then. And the next year after that, they sent me to Sundance with the eyes of Tammy Faye. And so we worked on that, and then it just started snowballing after that. And it was somewhere along the line, I think in 2003, um, or 2004, with um, Super Size Me that came to me through um, Synetic Media. And it was one of those things, I think that's when the light bulb went off. And I said, you know, this is something that I'm going to do. There's something about documentaries that are speaking to me. And that was the same year that we had this film called Control from Jahan Hussein. And that was life changing. Because that was a film that we, had, the America, America had just gone to war, and no one knew what Al Jazeera was, right? Because Al Jazeera was the enemy, quote unquote. So we did not. So she brought the producers over from Al Jazeera, and those Q and As afterwards were some of the richest Q and As that Sundance has ever had. Because as Americans, we didn't know who these people were, and this was first time understanding what that was. And you can see the power of what documentary films have done was it bridged, you know, what that gap was. So that was one of those moments you just went like, wow. That was one of the few moments that the press corps at Sundance actually gave a film a standing ovation without the filmmaker there, because it was so strong. I don't know if you guys seen it, it was back in 2003, 2004, it's called Control Room. If you haven't, it's worth uh, taking a look at. Do you follow the productions, the films, uh, uh, for an extended period of time, or is it more the uh, initial fix? You know, it just depends. We'll talk with you about what is it that you're looking for and what you need. So a lot of times we'll get hired just for like the one festival, but certain films will get hired on, the, they may come to us and say like, we've got into this festival, this festival, would you create you know, an agreement that will include everything else? So we'll adapt it for depending on what the needs are for the film. And also too, like, say for example, you have a film that's gonna go to Sundance and then it's gonna go to maybe a smaller festival. The question would be, do you really need, you know, publicity on them? We'll talk about what, what your needs are to make sure that it's, you know, in, in what you need to do. I'm not a fan of spending money needlessly, but also if there's a way that you can, you know, work some of these festivals without having a higher publicist that we can, you know, you know talk about that and, and figure what that would be at. And I think for a lot of, you know, Filmmakers who've never worked with a publicity team or worked with, with a you know, sales agent in the US, it's really good at the very beginning just to understand what that is. So no matter who you are about to hire, you should ask the question. The question should be, what is it that you would do for this? What are we looking at? Because a lot of times, press people, get, uh, publicists go into this thinking that you guys already know, but I found, because we do a lot of work with um, films that aren't from the US, and it's just taking them through the steps, this is what we're gonna do. This is what needs to be done. And I find what's really key, and I need to emphasize this with you who are putting together your press materials, you know, because in the press kit is so important. Because I'm looking at that, and we're looking at that as that piece of information that a writer is going to have 
while he or she is putting together their review or you know putting together the uh, uh, the feature story that they did just after interviewing you, but they there's something that's missing. So in that press kit, there's a section called the filmmaker's statement, and for me that's I like working with the filmmaker on that because I want to know exactly one why did you do this, where did this idea come from, two you know how long did it take you, you know where there's stories that you you can want to share. Did you use a certain technology that you know maybe wasn't used before? And all that stuff is rich, rich information that a writer can use and add to his or her you know review. But it would be in your words and coming from you. So I spend a lot of time with filmmakers just walking them through. We have like a list of eleven questions that I'll send to you. We'll talk that out. If it doesn't go deep enough, we'll go deeper. Because I think what's really important with these films is like they need to know why did you do this? Why did you spend three years of your life, you know, working with these, you know, people who were refugees somewhere else? Why is that important? And if they can get into, just gives your film even, you know, such a, you know, some rich history. And I think that's what people are looking for. And so we want to work together with you. So it's it's always an open ended. It's not like oh, you do this, we do that. It's it needs to be this, you know, this team support. One question more before we go to the. Let's say, yeah, there's another question. Please go ahead. Yes. After the question, after the question, we'll go to our. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Kuhn. I'm a producer and director in Holland. Um, I have a question about the changing uh, distribution landscape. You know, there's a lot of lot of change right now in the distribution landscape. A lot of less. Sorry, this mic is interfering. With my phone, I think. Um, uh, a lot of moving away from a more classical model to a lot more, uh, a lot more personal model. Often to the filmmaker as well. Self distribution is becoming a very big thing. Um, there are a lot more outlets now. How how are you dealing with that as a as a publicist? Is it changing your work in any way? You know, what's great is that it's opened up a lot of things um, because then you have you know areas of places that you know where content is really king. I mean, so now it's not just you're going to be on film, you're going to be in theaters, or you're going to be on TV. You're going to be everywhere. And I think you know, and I think you could probably attest to this too. Is as the salespeople are looking at, okay, there's Netflix, there's Amazon, there's theatrical, there's broadcast, there's you know everything across the board. The TV that you have in your house is no longer the TV. That's going to be the way that you're getting media. So for for me, what I've seen over the years that has changed, it's just opened it up even more so for filmmakers, which means then. We have a lot more filmmakers who are going into documentaries and making these movies. So for you, the competition is much higher, but also the audience is much broader because people are able to you know, see these. And I, what I'm finding the big shift really is, is in short films, you know, less than 40 minutes or so, according to Academy Rules. But I, you see that happening. There's starting to be now that um, audience for that. So has it changed? I think it's helped you know, because it, it continues to evolve. You know, as people are watching things on their phone or on their computer in theaters. And, and then the thing, too, and, you know, we, I work with a lot of filmmakers who feel like, oh, my film has to go in theaters. Certain countries, I think that works. In the U.S., it's really kind of difficult, you know, in terms of, because not every film is a theatrical film. Not every film is going to be something that someone's going to go and pay $10 for. Certain cities that would be, but it's going to be really, I think that's where your knowledge base comes in. Who did you make this film for? Who was your audience? Who do you want to see it? You know, a lot of times everyone says, I want everybody to see it, but that's not necessarily <coughs> going to be so. You want to, in my opinion, you want to reach that first core audience who can say, that's my movie, and then have them take it out, you know, to their, to their friends and, you know, their core audience as well. 
So yeah, so answer your question all around. I think it, it, it's opening up a whole lot, and I think for you as creative geniuses and artists, I think it just it's, it gives you even more possibility to pick up a camera to tell that story. Because I think there are not enough stories. And because the internet has made us all kind of like even more connected globally, so you don't you could live in New Jersey but also be here and have someone over here. It's these stories I think that's going to be like you know bringing us together. Within a follow-up question, maybe within this distribution landscape, how do you evaluate festivals? How do you evaluate festivals? How does festivals mm. still stand? Because you have the big ones, the smaller ones, things like that. How would you like? Did you see that evolve? Because all these new players like Netflix, Amazon Studios. You know, it's interesting. I mean, you probably could test this too, but. I think still the biggest film festival for documentaries in America is still Sundance. You know, definitely on the domestic side. You know, then you've got South by Southwest that now is coming. Because basically you're looking at who are the buyers that are coming to these festivals. Mm -hmm. How do you position it yourself? I mean, I for on the awards side of things, you know, it's nice when a film when a film starts its um, trajectory life, even at IFA or at at Sundance, and they go on and say they go to Tribeca, and then if they can go to full frame. Because that's a, that full frame is a documentary <coughs> festival in um, Carolina, North, North Carolina mm -hmm. that is just all documentaries. But a lot of the documentary buyers, a lot of the documentary filmmakers, all go there, and it's always helpful that you're you're within your peer group. Um, they're speaking, you know, about your film as well. The other one that's really good, and they're smaller, but it, and he's here is True False, and that takes place in I want to say um, March, just before South by Southwest. So. On the U.S. side of things, so South by Southwest is starting to become even more uh, popular, but it just depends on the type of film. So not not every film will play every festival. It just depends on what your film is. And I think each film is so individual. You have to decide where that's going to go and where that audience really is going to be to take it the next thing. And th with regards to festivals, I mean, one thing that, we, that I talk to film filmmakers about a lot is use that as a marketing as a place where you can really find your audiences and to build a profile for your film as you start to go along the way. So for example, we had a film that's running for the Oscars now. They did not um, play any festivals at all. And it's so hard for them to get traction because the people don't know their film as well. Had they gone on, waited a year and gone on, they could have built, because the film is good and it's about, it's a really good story. Had they gone on, they could have built themselves for the following year and got, you know, but again, use those festivals. Look at the festival route that you think your film would actually, you know, you know, play at, and use your salesperson to really help you guide you on that way, because they will know which, what the audience is like. Mm -mm. That was actually my next question, indeed. Like, when you're at a festival, um, how much is the business-to-business -business side, and how much is, let's say, to a general audience, which would then be like um, general press? Do you really? Do you have specialists you have within your both? You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's like it you know, because easy. you're looking at the business side, the industry side of trying to get the film in front of them. You know, because we know that that needs to be like the bigger story. But at the same time, we want to look at you know what the um, general press is, so that way they're ones writing about this movie needs to be seen, or this is where we're gonna, you know, this film is gonna be in the mix for people to, to go see, so we can build those audiences that come to that to that first screening or the first two or three screenings. It's very interesting that you're really also focusing on that. You're thinking before the festival already also, yeah. what are your audiences yeah. in that sense? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Okay. And then maybe for the filmmakers, interesting to know is um, at these kind of festivals, uh, how close are you with them? 
to them during the festival? How does it work? Oh, I hang out with Freddie a lot. No, we're really, we're really close. We work with, we work with the filmmakers and your filmmaking team like daily. Um, we try to set up calls every day to make sure you know what's going on, when it's going to happen, what's happening around. I think that's the most important thing is to definitely communicate with you so that way you know what's going on because I think everyone's nervous in this, you know, in that realm and we just want to make sure that you guys know what's going on, what we're, what we're, what we're chasing down, what we're, what we're looking for and what we're looking at. And then for us, the other communication side is being in communication with your sales team because I want to know from them or we want to know from them what is it that they need that can, that can help maybe move the needle for the Weinstein company to take a look at your film? What's that going to be for? So we're, we're, it's a daily thing, if not you know, all, more so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suggest we go to the first trailer. It's a case study we're going to look into on a film that started here last year, which is Sonita, and which David then worked on afterwards, um, and see how this works. So uh, is it possible to see the trailer? So Sonita, um, the uh, producer and the salesperson from Sonita, um, when they found out they got in the Sundance, had called called me last year and said, you know, we got this film that's going. It won. It won. If uh, you know, would you take a look at it and looked at it and you know, we were taken by the story and and it was just it was just an amazing film. And this young girl is is amazing herself. And so we looked at okay, it's coming to Sundance. It's going to have its U.S. premiere there. We knew that it already played here, and then it was a big success here. So that gave us a leg up in terms of like where we could position the film, you know, in terms of like you know sharing it early on with uh, some of these reviewers who didn't get a chance to review it out of here. So that gave us made it a little bit easier because then we were able to share it with some early people instead of waiting for them to come see it at the um, Preston Industry Screening in Sundance. One thing we wanted to know was how is Sunita going to be 
you know, in a place, uh, in a festival that's going to be like Sundance, where it's going to be, you know, mostly English-speaking people and, you know, how she was going to react. Luckily, she'd already been in the U.S., and it was around Christmas time, and I live in California, so she was going to be up in San Francisco. The filmmaker was in San Francisco. So I was going to be up there, too, um, with family, and we all got together and we met. And we sat down and we started doing you know, asking questions and doing some type of media training with her, finding out what she was comfortable with and where her level of English was um, in terms of, um, you know, what, what questions that, you know, she might be able to answer. And what we found was she was this incredible young woman who had been through so much, but she had taught herself English in the year that she had been in America to the point where she could almost, you know, have a really good conversation. So that wasn't going to be a problem. Um, and then she just had this personality that came out. And so we looked, and then she's also is this uh, wanted to be a rap star, and you know you saw the trailer. You know, she wanted Michael Jackson and Rihanna to be her, her mother and father. So she's this young girl who just had all these aspirations, and we knew from the producers that the film really was a big audience, you know, um, uh, winner here at at IDFA, and the audience was going to take it. So we looked at, you know, what else do we need to do to enhance this film at Sundance? We know the film was delivered. Well, we'll see, it's going to be the first time that American audiences were going to see this film, and she was going to be there. So we talked about having her perform, like she did here, in uh, Sundance, uh, perform after her first screening. Well, for some reason, we couldn't, they couldn't get it together where she couldn't perform after the screening for whatever reason. And um, what we ended up doing was they have this music lounge, where they have music acts every night, at, in, at Sundance, and we were able to get her on the roster for one of those uh, one of those things where she did like a 40-minute set of her, her, her um, songs, and then the filmmaker made videos with lyrics behind it so people knew what the translations were. So we were able to work with her you know, on that. So at our first screening, though, um, we planted her in the audience. She was in the audience, and you know, they did, we did not introduce her after the Q&A. She was just there, and the director came up, and they were talking, and and one of the questions came up, and it was like, you know, how is she doing now? And th we had the filmmaker turn to, well, let's just ask her. So when she popped up, the place went crazy. Um, and so she was able to come up, and she answered questions that were, you know, one of them was, one man was kind of difficult, but the, her personality really kind of came through. I mean, he was asking her like a question, like, well, what do you think about you know, girls, you know, and women in terms of as they try to find their own freedom in the country that you came from. And we watched her as she did, she kind of waited a beat and then she said, well, you can go to my website and you can see how you can help and you can help this whole, the, you know, our cause to end um, child brides. And so what could have been a situation that could have been more like this kind of argument because there are people in the audience who are telling this man to be quiet and shut up and he finally got to ask this question. She kind of diffused everything. So we knew we had that with her, that she had this, you know, there was this innocent quality about her. And so we just kept, and she would go and do these interviews where we made sure that she was interviewed together with the filmmaker so that they were together since the filmmaker was also part of the story and making sure that they were together. So we did a lot of media training with them so that way they knew and they could be ready for any questions that might come up that might be difficult for either of them to ask. Um, what happened though at the festival was that this film took off. And people went crazy over this film. So it was just a matter of continuing to chase the film and chase that down. At the end of the day, it won the Grand Jury Prize, and it won the Audience Award. Um, and so it kind of put that film on the map. And 
but the, the, the filmmaker on the Mac. But it was, if I understand that correctly, it was your idea to kind of orchestrate these creative moments where for the Q&A you actually say, okay, it's only here the director that comes up first, yeah. and it's when there's a question that we mention. So you, that's yeah, like a strategy. We wanted to do that because originally we wanted her, at the end of the film, it ends with a song, and she's yeah. rapping on the song. And what we wanted her to do was to come out while the credits were rolling and have her sing it live. We ended up doing that later, and it worked really well. Because then, you know, I think it was like the last screening, they finally figured out how to get her to sing. And when she came out, it just it was the same reaction. People just were, you know, they, we knew that they would really stand up for her, and they just wanted to you know, be around her. The other thing too with her, we wanted to make sure that she felt safe. So we always had like two people near her afterwards because everybody wants to come and hug her and be a part of her. So we just made sure that we had people around her to make sure that she was okay with everything. She was very open to talking to people and being around people, so. You, you also have to like organize that? We do, yeah. We always have people that's there. Again, it's about creating that safe yeah. environment for them. And so we're always doing that. And the other thing that we look at too is, okay, so we have Sonita, but how do we position the filmmaker as that important smart filmmaker? So every year, Women in Film has a panel. And so we were able to put the, the filmmaker on that panel to talk about women's issues and things like that. So we're looking for all those different aspects that can add to what the film is. So you've got Sunita and you've got this, you've got the, the, the filmmaker. And they both have you know, separate stories, but they all equal to one story, which was this film. So it's looking at all the different aspects. Because we always look at what are the assets that we can have that we can get out there that are really going to make people come back to see this film or put that on the list of that's a film I have to buy. So for example, if we know that the film has sold out like the first week, then we can at least put that out there, that this was the first film to sell out at this festival, because then it makes it you know, the next big thing. Hmm. Um, you know, we're just looking at all those different opportunities where they can speak in front of people, where they can talk in front of people that this film needs to be where, where, where it's gonna be positioned. Uh, I was just thinking about a personal question. Mm -hmm. Actually, because after this one, going to go to a crisis one, a tough one. So I can ask the question now, how do you actually feel when a film hits off at Sundance like this and, and you feel that everything you did really worked? You know, it's kind of, you really don't know. So when you go in, you think, we want to do this strategy, yeah. that strategy, that strategy. And when it starts to work, it's like, okay, well, that's really great. But then there's some that may go this way <coughs> and not work. And then you just have to like pivot and come back around and regroup and say, okay, what do we need to do? We try to have like a plan B as a backup, just in case this doesn't, you know, um, doesn't work. You know, so we want to make sure that we can, you know, take everything that we can. So, for example, we had a film one year that was there, and it was going up against um, the Queen of Versailles. I don't know if you guys seen that film. So it was a train wreck, right? And it was like that was like the film that everybody was talking about because she was there. And we had we had another film that dealt with I want to say nuclear power. So Queen of Versailles and nuclear power, what are they going to cover? They're covering the Queen because she's there. But nuclear power, we had something that was really like, important. So we had to find, you know, we had to find another, another through line in, and we actually found one person who was at a public radio station that, you know, that was his gig, was really nuclear power and how we're going to use it. And, and that kind of went on that way. And so we just had to like, because nothing else we were trying was, everybody was paying attention to Queen of Versailles. So we were trying to figure out how do we go around it. We just had to really go deeper and find you know, that, that champion who was you know, really big and find out who was going to be talking about you know, this outside of you know, Queen of Versailles. And the same thing when we had Super Size Me, you know, everybody, it was like one of these films that 
we knew that just on the description alone, man eats McDonald's for 30 days, what happens? So we thought, okay, rather than have him at the forefront, what we did, we pulled back a little bit, we just let the synopsis kind of do its thing, and then we watched how that film kind of took off, and that film just took off. And it was pre-internet, so everything was done like, you know, I don't know how we're doing, like via email. Um, and then luckily we had Morgan Spurlock, who himself was kind of like a showman. So he was easy to work with, because he was willing to do everything. Um, and he had all these little gimmicks, like he had hamburger like wallets that they were passing out, and french fry kind of wallets too. And he had like these big Ronald McDonald's, but it looked like the devil, so it was like fat Ronald McDonald. Mm -hmm. So he had all these different little things, but it fit for that film. You know, and it made sense that he would have that. And then there was him himself, because he was the, the subject. And he was very likable. And, you know, and so we just kind of worked with that. But he was, it was like the film was getting away, so we just kept pulling it back a little bit and making sure that he wasn't getting too much in front of it because he was like all of a sudden this next big thing that everybody kind of just felt like that they were discovering. But at the same time, we had that film. We also had Control Room, which was about real, you know, about this, about, you know, Al Jazeera. So we were balancing both, but it was, it was kind of great because you got pop culture here and you got the real life stuff. And that's what I said, I think that's when my epiphany went off in my head as a while. There's just some you know, documentaries are like the best place for storytelling. Mm -hmm. How do you com communicate that to the filmmakers? Because you, in a way, before one of these launchpad festivals is there, of course, you, you don't always know which one is going to hit off. Right. And, and, but do you feel it, or, or how is that? Yeah, yeah. And, and because you have several ones, how, yeah. what do you communicate with the filmmakers? Well, we're just trying to give them whatever the best case scenario is and what the worst case scenario is ahead of okay. time. Talk, talk them through. Um, so like Iraqi Odyssey mm -hmm. was a three-hour 3D film about the Iraqi um, diaspora. And it was at Toronto. And it was the same year that Denzel Washington was there. And it was like, how are we, it was really tough because it was having, I think it was it its world premiere? Yeah. I worked with you on it. Yeah. You were the sales agent. Exactly. And we, th we thought, okay, there's going to be an audience there because we know there's a Middle East audience that actually goes to Toronto and goes to TIFF. Um, but what, we, what was happening at Toronto was that the press corps was following everything that was opening that fall and everything that was Oscars, and they had all the big stars there, like a Denzel. So we were getting that. And so we looked at that and we thought, okay, this is, I was getting pushback from press saying, you know, I really can't commit three hours and it's in 3D and it's a documentary, you know, what I'm going to do. Um, we sat down with the director and with Peter, who was the, um, the salesperson at the time, we said, okay, this is what we're up against. You know, we're not going to get a reviews from here, but maybe this festival is not the right place to get the review from. If they're so interested in all this Oscar stuff and more pop culture things, maybe Iraqi Odyssey, this is not the place to get it. We knew we were going to go to Doha, is that what it was? Yeah. And we thought, let's talk to the people who are going to go to Doha and see if we can get that review out of there. Because it would then be the most, you know, adequate, I think, environment for them to review that film out of. And knock on wood, luckily that's where it went to. But the big goal for us was to, for the filmmaker who said, well, I really want to get it into Berlin. And we knew that the programmer was at Toronto. So it was just a matter of hunting him down and trying to get him in to see it. So with Peter, with the filmmaker, with myself, a couple other people were like really honing in on the guy that was going to be programming. So we had one industry screening. And oh, look, there's a we had one industry screening. <laughs> and really, six people showed up. And two were press. One was from the nation, and one was from like Art Forum. And then the programmer from Berlin showed up. Well, it turned out the programmer from Berlin also knew the person from the nation, 
and they sat together. But we already talked to the person from the nation, knew, knowing that she was gonna be there. And so at the end of the day, they watched the film together. The other guy fell asleep that we were looking at for the press, so he didn't, we made sure he didn't review it at all. Um, but it turned out that they had a conversation, the person from the nation and the programmer, and it ended up being, you know, going to um, Berlin. And then it became the, um, the uh, Oscar submission for Switzerland uh, last year. So it's just one of those things, again, that when you have to like go left or go right, you know, and, and change up as you go along. But we also looked at the public screening of that film, and I knew that there was an actor from um, Great Britain who was from Egypt, who was also, or Egyptian, who was also in, there, do you remember a documentary like two or three years ago called The Square? Um, so he was also part of the activists that were in The Square, but he was at Toronto and he brought his father. And they came to see Iraqi Odyssey. That became like the, their favorite film. They even came back again to see it the second time and they brought more people. And then he was like a really good conduit because he, he and his father were telling other people to come see the film. So it's like looking for, like I said earlier, like champions for the film that are gonna help take it out to both the general public but also using the press to supplement whatever you're gonna be doing. Because I think both of those will you know, support each other and position the film at these larger festivals. It's actually a great example because I remember uh, taking on the Iraqi Odyssey and, um, and Samir, he's like, a, let's say, call him a big director. I mean, in a way also, he knows what he wants and, and, and going to TIFF with him to Toronto and it is this huge festival. And, and the thing was also to get his expectations down, right. right? And for that, David was so great because we were sitting together and talking about this is, such a huge festival, we're at the reel-to-reel -reel section, and to get the expectations at the right level, right? But still, set up parameters that we really want to achieve. And the one thing that, that indeed we said was like, if you could get another AA festival, like Berlin, but this is like seven months later, and indeed, they got the programmer, Wieland Speck of the Panorama, in with these six people that were there. So even we were a little bit disappointed that morning, <laughs> of course, like six people, you know. And, and the same evening, he came up to us and he said, yeah, I'm gonna program this film. I love it. And it wasn't because he was talking to this journalist that he right. knew that, you know. So the same night, we knew that we would be in Berlin six months later. There was one funny story besides that, that was that they actually confirmed Zurich Film Festival as a local premiere, which would be two months later. But Wieland Speck said, for the panorama, I need a European premiere. Doha is no problem, but in Europe, I want to have a European premiere for Berlin. So they had to cancel Zurich. That was not easy for the producers, but they did. Um, yeah, so this, this having the right expectations and finding ways for that a publicist is amazingly important. I think, you know, because then you have another ear and another, you know, other people to, to weigh in on that. So it's not just you and, let's say, Samir talking about it, but mm -hmm. you've got, you know, others. And that also gave us direction of what we knew what Samir really wanted. Okay, we knew, we, I did, we really didn't want to get a review out of Toronto because it was going to be wrong. Because there people would be like, okay, why am I sitting here? This movie's so long and involved, and you have to pay attention, and it's in 3D, you know. And they're probably going to try to run off and see something else. So we just, we just, I didn't, we didn't push it anymore on that end. But the reviews that we did that came out of there were more local, like Canadian press, and they all liked it. So it was a big plus on that end. Mm. 
But it's also, like you say, it is taking care of the filmmaker. Not only his expectations, but also you really physically also get lost at Sundance and TIFF and even Tribeca. So, as I understand it correctly, you also tell them where and how and all these things, right? Where now? I mean, what there is to do, how, yeah, give you them know, some we'll guidance. Take, you know, we'll take a look at yeah, everything because, again, like for filmmakers who get invited, you guys, this is like winning, you know, going to the ball and you guys get invited to the party. So we want to make sure that you guys get to play that role. And then you don't have to worry about, oh, what is my press people doing? Or what are the sales people doing? You have to be able to go and participate in everything that you guys get to go to. Because I think that's, that's the privilege. You've been selected by, you know, out of, let's say, 3,000 films, and your film has been plucked out to you know, premiere there and to be there. Um, so our goal is to really make sure that you're comfortable doing that. So we'll take a look at all the parties that you've been invited to. And every, every time, our, 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 our big thing is, like, you'll get invited to every party. And you should say yes to everything and always RSVP for a plus one even though it says you only get one, but always RSV for a plus one, just in case you want to bring your producer. Um, but you know, then we'll look at the list and figure out which ones you really don't need to go to, and which ones you should go to, which ones you want to go to, which ones you can do like a quick drive-by or hello at, and then you know, figure out which films you want to see, because we want to make sure that we can work with you to like, you know, um, monitor how your, what, your, what your road trip is going to be you know, at those festivals. So we'll, we'll do a lot of that um, together with but what we don't do, and this is something we're really clear about, is get you into parties or get you into like what they have these gifting suites. It's, it's really, you know, like these different sponsors come and they sponsor these houses and they want people to come in and they get free, free everything. And it's like, we just, we won't do that. But, you know, you can get your intern on the ground who can probably, you know, get you into that. And also, too, you know, one thing I want to bring up is like at these festivals, more than, more than not, the press will only talk to the director and the subject. Now and then they'll talk to the producer, but I always feel for the producer, because the producer doesn't get as much love as, let's say, a director does, especially on the interview side. But you know, we always like kind of let everybody know that this is the expectation of what will be up there. Because I've seen a lot of people like have that friction where, you know, how come I'm not getting interviewed? Well, the press, for some reason, won't, won't talk to the producer. Not as much as they will to the director and the subject. Before, any questions? I yeah, before we, the before we go to the case study, yeah. the second case study, is there any question from the audience? Um, oh, wait for the mic, please. Yes. I'm a director in the beginning of my career, and uh, what's not clear to me is what's the best point uh, where I step in and go to a sales agent? Um, is it like when your film is already accepted and uh, it's already festival or is it already in a very early period you already go to a sales agent? <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll answer that briefly. Um, but it depends. I, I would say in general this is a very good idea already in development to check out with sales agents what your film is about to, to see if there's a market for it, if they're really interested in it, right? That I think is a very interesting moment. They will probably not take your film, like already buy it. That um, I think the best moment that most sales agents will tell you is the final cut stage, when it's ready, right? Off the record, still the sales agents will be very lazy, we all are, so we will not screen your film really fast. The moment we hear your film is in selection at ITFA, we will immediately see the film. Two days later you will have an answer, and you will have it from everybody. 
right? So that's the way it works. Sorry? said just in the mic so indeed even for the forum uh, the projects that are pitched there uh, it's the same so before the selection almost no sales agent is attached and after now before the forum begins it is that and uh, yeah and it's something actually maybe one last detail before we get into it's something I've seen changing over the last 10 years 10 years ago until six seven years ago when as a sales agent you came to ITFA even at ITFA, 90% of the films in main competition or panorama or first appearance, they still have no sales agent. You pick them up here. Now, and that started to change four or five years ago, 90% or 99% of the films that are playing here are gone. They're sold to a sales agent before the festival starts. It says a lot about the popularity of documentaries. It says a lot about ITFA. Um, but the market is changing indeed. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, any more? I do have another question about the artwork of uh, Sunita. If I'm right, the poster we had was a different one. So you're changing also the artwork for, I, I can't remember the old one, but I think we had another poster. It was a different one. Yeah. Um, and then we went with this one. Yeah, exactly. The, I forget what the other one was. It was Sunita. fine. And then we saw... We thought, you know, is there something else that we could do? I think it was just her photo or something. Or, I, don't know, I don't remember. Or it could have been the one where she had the, where she had the veil on and she had the, the stamp on her head. And unless you saw the film, you wouldn't definitely understand that. And we went with kind of this with the graffiti behind her and then with her. It felt like that would be more for like a lot of the American artists. Uh, That's audiences, interesting, perhaps. I think. So we look at that too. So, you know, when we're, we're looking at all your press materials, we're looking at what photos. I mean... On the photo side, I'm always looking at what is that photo that's going to be the iconic photo that you know we know that the New York Times cannot live without. Or every time you see that film, you know that that's that movie, even without the title under it. You know, so you want to, we want to find whatever those are. So Last Train Home, I don't know if you guys have seen this, was a picture of the young girl that the movie is about, and she's just standing on the train, and the reflection of her face with uh, on the train going just became one of these shots, and when it came out at Sundance and the New York Times woman saw it, that was the photo that just went everywhere. And it was like half a page on the New York Times. It was just one of these things that just kind of blew up. Um, you know, for Super Size Me, it was the French fry mouth. And that became like, you know, the iconic film, the photo of that. So we're always looking for those photos that, you know, we know that will say something about the film or say something about your subject, but also that looks really, that just kind of punches through. Hmm. With Sonita, you worked with Deborah Zimmerman, the yeah. local distributor on yeah. this? We worked with Deborah on that, and she had a lot of ideas too, so we just kind of put all those in together. I mean, our goal really was just we just need to blow this out at Sundance. Yeah. We need to really raise awareness, and at the end of the day, it worked. Well, also, too, the film delivers. I mean, that's the most important thing. You have to make a good film. So, no matter, you can hire the best publicists in the world, they have the best things, but if your film does not connect with anybody, then there's going to be a problem with that. But we found that with this film, people were standing on their chairs. So we were hoping we would get the audience award, but you never know with these things, you know, what, what's gonna come through, so. Well, can, I, can I contradict you on this? Yes, please. Um, I, I actually do not agree uh, in that sense that 
you do have to have a great film. You do have to have a film. But I see so many great films, not so many actually. I sometimes <laughs> I encounter a great film that does not get out there. And that, that even plays at ITFA or, or not, and that just does not take off. The reason why is mostly because they didn't have people like David that thought of what do we need, right? Or like Freddie, you need these people that look for the angles to communicate. What is it about your film that you communicate? Having a brilliant film today is not enough. The way I'm saying that sounds creepy, right? Uh, sorry. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, as a sales agent, uh, as I used to be a sales agent, it was the same. Uh, I, there were sometimes films I fell in love with but couldn't take. And then nobody else took them and, and you saw them really like disappearing. Um, so that's the reason why I say, of course you need a, a great film. But with a great film, you need a great publicist that really thinks about it. And, you, and even, I think you need a little bit of luck. Yeah. In that sense, right? So, so um, it's that combination that you need. And, and maybe we can go to, because actually time is flying. We only have 30 minutes left. And we have like officially three or four more cases. Um, the next one is a crisis. It's bananas and big boys gone bananas. So um, I would love to ask to watch the trailer of both. So you have an idea. Cada día que una persona muere, que trabajó una maranera, que fue expuesto a este químico, es una victoria más para la World Food Company. Es una victoria más cada vez que uno falle. I do not like when other people are exploited. I've never liked it since I was a little kid. I never liked to pick that pick from a little guy. Did you have any information at all? Was there was a chemical labor that could affect your fertility? No. 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 There was anything like that. Did you ever notice an unusual order? Here's a way. Did anyone ever tell you that I think it's no that chemical? This is bigger than just a case. This is the very first time ever that agricultural workers from a third world nation are urban in the United States poor. Sir, I'll burn it. I want that process off. 
Foods is suing a Swedish filmmaker for wanting to show a fraudulent documentary slamming the company. Malmö Finland Fredrik Gärten stängs av det amerikanska bananföretaget Dole. Företaget hävdar att filmen bananas är bluff. Det är totalt crazy att du i den rikaste demokratiska världen kan inte visa den här filmen. Sex år sedan var det okej, nu är det inte okej för oss att bara bara. Vad är det? Vad är det som är det? Det är en film som är på en skärm. Det är det. Jag har inte sett det. Jag har inte sett det. So you're finding this incredibly bizarre situation where people are saying the film is wrong and haven't seen it. Your film is wrapped up into a much bigger cause for Dole. Their cause is to get rid of billions of dollars for litigation, and it makes sense because they kept using poisonous chemicals. So this is a cheap investment for them. The Islamic Taliban films are like that. Hemsians are like that. But they are all the same. They are my favorite. We feel like the film owner can't on its own. It's very, very expensive. These guys are really trying to be the best that they can. They're attacking you as the filmmaker. They're attacking the film. You see this? This is the front page of the LA Digital Show. Documentary turns dope full. It's a hero despite evidence that he fabricated such a case. And the writer hasn't even seen the film. We have a media that is corrupted by power. You have corporate ownership from the top. You have corporate advertising coming in from the side. We have a media where money and corporate influence is really the mother's milk. I think you're being a little bit naive if you think that you can take a pop at a big multinational and expect to walk away without some sort of fight in your hands. So what he's doing here is he's equating your film to a propaganda piece that was trying to essentially justify the massacre of Jews. The Sterile. 
and or they could go the other route, which she ended up doing, would be like to sue or try to you know to threaten to sue the filmmaker and try to pull the plug. So I, our whole team got together and we said, okay, if it goes this way, you know we know what we're going to do. If we're going to go that way, if Doe comes after us, we're going to be in. We're going to be working on this every day. Two weeks after we said yes to the film, um, so let's say mid mid May or something, they I get a letter from Dole, it was a cease and desist, saying that you know you need to tell your filmmaker not to show this film. We're gonna come after you, we're gonna come after the sponsors, we're gonna come after the film festival, we're gonna come after um, the filmmaker. No one else got this letter except for me and the filmmaker and then also the people, the sponsors, so Bank of America, Starbucks, Target, all these other sponsors. Yeah, the so sponsors of the festival. The sponsors of the festival got it. So I called uh, Frederick and I said, did you get this? And Frederick hadn't gotten it yet. They got it on the following, I, it was on a Friday. And Frederick you know, finally got it on a Monday and I called the film, the film festival and I said, you know, this is what's going around. We sent it around to them. You guys need to be prepared to see what was going on. So at that point, we, you know, we went back to Frederick and we said, look, do you want to show this film here? Because you know there's going to be, you know, you have a possibility of being sued. How many weeks in advance of the festival was it? Probably about four weeks, about okay. a month out, okay. you know. And they had that opportunity to probably say yes or no. You know, we, and for us, you know, as a publicist, I just want to, I believed in the film, I believed in what he did, um, and what that film was about. And so I just, you know, whatever you want to do, we'll support you 100%. You know, if it looks like the festival is going to take it out, you know, not show it for whatever reason, that's going to give us another publicity angle that we can also screen it in another theater. And so we had already set up another theater should the film festival not take it. And so we were ready to go with that. So it would have been the same week that the film was supposed to be shown. Um, when he, what he decided, though, was he was going to bring, he thought if he was going to get sued, and they were going to hit him with a, with a lawsuit, he was going to bring a camera person over from Sweden to, to film all this and document all that. So that's exactly what happened. So what happened was he started off with a small film, which was Banana. And then he brought over this cameraman who, to follow the story after that, and he came into this, the second one that you saw, was Big Boys About Bananas. And it turned out to even be bigger um, than what it was. But with Bananas, that, that film, we were like in kind of like a crisis mode during the whole time. So the question was, well, what do you do? And we would have meetings every day. The film festival programmers were like coming to me and coming to the filmmaker and saying, you need to take this, you know, you need to not show this. And we just stood the ground and said, U.S. film programmers just need to decide whether you're going to show this. We're ready to show it. You can can I briefly interfere? Go, because um, I was there. So we went to the Los Angeles uh, Film Festival, and as, as I was the sales agent, um, and this was the world premiere. And we picked this festival because Dole was there. And, and normally, the Los Angeles Film Festival is not like one of these big festivals, but because it was so important for, and they put us into competition. And the competition thing was something important because of, for the LA Film Festival. And then arriving there, we already knew that Doe was very aware and was sending out letters. But still, if I correct, if I, if I remember correctly, the film festival was standing ground. So they were saying like, there's no problem, you're in competition, everything's fine. And we arrived. And, and I remember we had like in David's office um, sitting and we got the news that actually the Los Angeles Film Festival has put the film out of competition. 
that was the moment where I was so surprised how David and his team were like, because you have panicked producers and a panicked filmmaker, right? It's like, out of competition, what do we do? Do we pull back everything? Do we still screen? And then David went on and said, like, okay, there is this alternative. We can just screen around the corner. We can go ahead and do a screening out of competition, which the festival had agreed to. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was incredible to see David and his team over a period of, I think it was a week or a week that we moved out there. But also, too, in between time, Dole had hired um, <coughs> some writers. So one was the LA Business Journal to write stories that the film was false. No one had seen the film. The writer hadn't seen the film. But they had planted all these things. So you saw in the trailer, we held up the big article, and it was front page of the LA Business Journal, how the filmmaker was false, how this was all false. So we kept getting hit with all this. We're getting these um, letters. Uh, from those things and stuff. So, you know, we kept thinking, what can we do? We're in this small little, you know, WG films, and you've got big dough coming at us. So we looked at, you know, we've got a website, right? So said, anything they send us, let's just put up on the website. You know, these are the letters, because, you know, the fight was beginning. So we said, let's just put everything on there. Let's just be transparent as much as we can. Here, you know, instead of running and hiding and, like, you know, crying in the corner, we just said, let's just put it out there. So we put, we put the letter out that they put out to us, the letter they put out to Corporations. We also put all the articles that were coming out out of saying that this was false, this was false. But also the disclaimer was no one who had seen this film yet. And so that we just kept pushing that out there. It just kept pissing them off a little bit more. So they were, get, they were putting pressure on uh, the LA Film Festival, which is I think one of the things they said, you know, shut down your website. Because we just kept sharing everything that they kept giving us. Yeah, there was really like, you have to imagine also the risk we took in that sense and also the proposal of David, which was very courageous because not correctly, they also tried or sued you. They were, no, they were trying to sue everybody, so they were trying to sue us, but you know, that was early on, and so I called over to their to the lawyers for the film, and they said, we're recovering, so I said, okay, we're in, you know, we'll do, at the end of the day, we wanted to do whatever the filmmaker wanted, wanted to do, because it was best for the film, because in our mind, there was nothing wrong. We went to the lawyers and say, okay, is there anything that they really have? What they had in the film was their ex-CEO said, yes, we used the pesticides on these people after we knew that the pesticides were dangerous. And that was the thing they did not want out there. But that was in court records, he said it in court, but that was the thing they didn't want to. So they tried to discredit the filmmaker. They tried to discredit the, um, the, the attorney that took that law case on. Well, it turns out the attorney is this guy that, who's a big attorney in LA that advertises on the back of buses. And he's like what they call, he does accidents. So he's like an ambulance kind of chaser, but he, he knows any, and he's great because he works with mostly the Latino community. Yeah. And so he's big there. He has buses all over. You know, so everyone thinks he's kind of this, you know, jokester. But he's like, you know, he's really for real. So anyway, but the, the deal was uh, Dole was trying to discredit him as well. So there are these articles that just come in. And every day was something new. You know, and I'm, we're thinking about, you know, this, this filmmaker and his producers are like, you know, don't know what they're going to do. They're already here in L.A. And then LA Film Festival says, okay, we're not, we're not sure whether we're gonna show the film, and it just kept coming down to the wire. And then they finally acquiesced and said, okay, we're gonna show the film, we're taking it out of competition. And then they said, we're gonna make this a case study. And they brought <laughs> a case study of like not knowing your facts. So basically, they were trying to divorce themselves from the film. And the sad part is you saw how 
you saw how the scare tactics of the big corporations scared a lot of people, but you also saw how the filmmaker stood his ground and said, I'm still going to push this out there. And so the second film, Big Boy's Gone Bananas, actually tells the whole story from start to finish. Bananas is the precursor, so if you get a chance to see it, it's on Netflix and everywhere else. It just, it walks you through everything. So he filmed the whole thing of all of us in conversation with the filmmakers, all of us, we sat around trying to figure out what we needed to do. The sad part was, I mean, the good part was, Bananas and that whole, that whole controversy, it spurred a second film, which ended up going to Sundance, which ended up going even bigger than the other, and it made everybody else look not so good in the film. And then, at the end of the day, he wins the lawsuit and shut down, no, but it was actually the country of Sweden that came back and said, okay, you're not gonna sue this person, our, our filmmaker, it's freedom of speech, what he had to do. You know, if you continue this lawsuit, uh, Sweden said we will not import anything more from Dole. And then they, that's what made them go away. But it was, unfortunately, it was like a three year ordeal for the filmmaker to live through, and I'm sure he lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. But at the same time, he stood his ground and it really, you know, it was a precedent, I think, for a lot of the documentary communities. And I think you were saying to have it not been a Swedish Situations? No, 
Okay. No, I, I, you know, we take each, I mean, the thing is, again, I've been sort of beginning, we take these films on if they like speak to, speak yes. to me. Um, but this one, we like, okay, this is, this Bananas was one that we really wanted to be to get on. That we wanted to have that, that out there, you know, that, you know, this can't happen to these people. Mm. Yeah, you had no idea also, I mean, nobody had the, 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 the No, we were hoping the that they would like go the other way and go and just win the audience okay. award and not be worried about it. But that didn't happen. You know, but at the, at the end of the day, it, it really kind of spurned mm -hmm. something else and something bigger. Yeah. So like David said, if you want to see how it ends, <coughs> Big Boy's Gone Bananas, and you can see exactly how it ends. It's a very fascinating story. Um, any more questions before, because I see that time is really flying. We have uh, 10 more minutes. We want to do one more short case study. Is there any questions from the audience? No, great. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. No, please, please. I am Sorry, I've been doubting to ask this question because maybe um, it's a very simple question. Um, I'm not very used to working with publishers. In fact, I've never worked with publishers. I would love to work with publishers, but usually when I get to the end of making a film, my budget is drained. Right. So obviously this is something you need to think of beforehand. Right. So uh, I don't want to know what you make a month, but I would like to know what, what do I need to think of when I allot for publicity in the budget as I'm setting up the film. You know, I always, we always talk about that. It'd be great if you guys could put that in your production budget as a line item. And I found that some filmmakers are starting to do that. They put a line item in for festivals and for publicity and also for what they call impact. Uh, that's a big word, I guess. Yeah, outreach, impact. So that's, and you can get grants for impact. So they always put that as, as, a, as, a, as a, a line item. But, you know, like if you go to, like, say, Sundance or to Tribeca, you're going to be paying a publicist to take on your project for the kind of anywhere between $12,000 to $15,000 just for that festival. A lot of times that will include everything, their lodging and their travel. It just depends on what you set up. But be prepared to pay for anybody worth their, their way. Be prepared to, be, to pay anywhere between like twelve and fifteen for that festival. Because I think some of these other people will try to come in and undercut, but I don't think you're going to get the same level. Uh, I've seen the other people that have you know come in a little bit lower. The expectation that you were going to get it just—it's not going to be the same. So I would put that if you guys are working on your budgets, put that in there between you know twelve and fifteen would be really good um, because I think then you'll be able to you know see what you're doing. And also, including your line in your liners, also your travel and your lodging to go to Sundance is not cheap, you know, because you're there for twelve days and you have to rent a condo that's going to be you know whatever seven hundred dollars a day or something like that. But just and it's kind of scary, but if you can put it in. What I found also, too, for certain filmmakers, once they get into a larger festival, they've gone back to their um, producers or their angels and say, look, we're in this festival, and a lot of their, their producers want to be there, too, so they'll pony up whatever the additional monies are going to be for that, for that festival, because they understand how important that is for the film to be there. And I think that's the other thing you talked about, too, is getting the films into, like, some of these double-A, you know, you know four-star kind of, like, you know, film festivals, and that's where you're salesperson's going to really, going to be really important to you because then you can bounce those things off of him or her and they can tell you like this film is not a Sundance film, you know, or this is going to be probably play better here or something like that. So I would, you know, put that in as a, as a line item anywhere, like I said, between 12 and 15 just for their fee um, and then anything you're going to have for your own expenses because at the end of the day you just want to make sure that you've got everything that you can do, you know, to help you be there. Thank you. And 
community, also knowing a little bit the market of, depending on the festivals. Uh, there's a lot of published PR companies that, that do it for a lot less, but it's, it's a sailor with everything, with a producer or a director or a sales agent within the business to look at who is good at what. And, and that's also a price quality thing, it just is. I also had it that somebody offered me a PR for a lot less, and it really raised my eyebrows, like, why? And because that's really cheap. And so, the, but then a person was honest and said, like, I'm alone. You know, like David takes a whole team. And it makes a huge difference because at several moments, you need people at several places. At the industry screening, at a Q&A, like that. So if you're only one person, it's very tough to do that. So you, that's also why I think it's so interesting to be here today, so you know how it works. And so you can ask these questions at your public relations um, company or person that you want to hire. And also do your research, you know, both on the sales side and the publicity side. Find out what they work on. If your film looks like it fits within their slate of what they worked on in the past, you know that they're going to get your films. So you're not like, you know, kind of searching in the dark. You know, look online or, you know, and then talk to other filmmakers. You know, say, you know, talk, call somebody and say, you know, how was it working with these people? And they'll tell you, most filmmakers, be honest, filmmakers are filmmakers, tell you what it is. Because, you know, they, everyone knows how tough it is to raise money in this time. Let's pretty quickly go to. One last trailer and we'll talk for five minutes about it. Uh, it's the Eagle Hunters. Did you, was that clear to play the trailer of the Eagle Hunters? Sorry, I didn't get 
you saw the film and then you said, okay, there's something here despite the fact it was in the children's section. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, it, was, it, was, it was, yeah. So I saw the film first and then they told me, oh, it's in Sundance Kids section. I was like, wow, why can't it be in the competition? But what happened was it was a late entry um, and everything was already filled in the competition and it was, they said, okay, we'll put it in the kids section. The kids section was kind of new. I think it was like the second or third year. And this was the first time they were going to show a documentary in the kids section, which meant we only had three screenings. So, so I think it was like on a Saturday in Park City, and then we were like in midweek in Salt Lake City, and then at the very end of the festival back in Park City, with no press and industry screenings uh, shoot. So we all got together and said, okay, we need to get a press and industry screening to make sure we have that. Um, we have a really good relationship with one of the film critics from the LA Times, and I usually send him my slate of things to take a look at to see what he might cover for his what they call the curtain raiser. He loved this film. Sorry, very briefly. Uh, does anybody understand the curtain raiser? Who does not understand this? So basically, it's yes. the articles that come out in the different you know, publications that say, this is what you should see you know, at the festival. It's kind of like a what to watch. Like so that's what they call curtain raiser. So before the, the film festival starts, we try to get all of our films in the curtain raiser section. So they'll, they'll cover that. Um, so this. this um, writer, he writes a curtain raiser for the LA Times, and he loved this film. And he couldn't so he gets it. to see it up front? Sorry to interrupt. We showed, it, we showed him the rough, you know, we weren't totally finished, but we showed him like a picture lock version. Okay. Because a lot of times he, he'll complete his, um, his articles like right around, he'll start to get stuff right around Christmas time, when he's got more time. But you can imagine the number of people going after him. Of course. Um, you know, we only send him things that we think he'll probably like, um, or hopefully. And we'll see his, you know, not all, always, but, but for this one, he really took a liking to it and really positioned it well. Um, and then we had other things going for us. Well, first we had other things going against us. One, we were in the kids section. Number two, we had no press industry screening. And then we had, you know, minimal screenings that buyers were going to be able to go to and, and, and press. So we went back to Sundance and we said, look, we need to have a press industry screening for this film. They gave us one and it was like on Monday, like late afternoon. So that was fine. We had that. Um, then we knew that the person who was going to write the curtains for the LA Times that he loved the film, so we knew we had that. And then uh, along the way, the the female star of the latest Star Wars, Daisy Ridley, you guys know her. So she came on as an executive producer. So they gave us something else that we could announce, and so we used that announcement like about two weeks before the festival, so that you know made you know more eyeballs look. And then um, the pop star Sia had agreed to do the original song for the film. So we were able to push that out there. So we did that like the Tuesday before the film festival opened. So along the way, we just kept getting little bumps that we could like, you know, put out into the press side. Um, the, when we got to Sundance, well, on Thursday, when we got to Sundance, the LA Times article came out and he talked about this film and how people should see this, even though it's in the kids section and not in competition, that this film is worth your time to see. By then, by the time we got to our first screening, it became one of these buzzy films that a lot of people said you have to see. Plus, the visuals on this are like amazing. So the photos that we had with her, like the, the poster you're looking at with her, with this, this ego, was really great. Plus, she was coming with her family to Park City. So we know that was gonna be a big, a big draw. And then we got an eagle, 
from Oklahoma. The Eagle Trainer had to drive from Oklahoma to Utah to bring so that way she could do pictures with it or be at the screenings with it at the end for Q and A. I know it's gimmicky, but it worked. Um, and then people, and then they were open to taking pictures afterwards, you know, with the Eagle and the people. Um, and so the whole family came over from Mongolia, and they were there for like a whole week. But the film, when we when we had our first screening on, it was a Saturday night, I believe. Um, they Every, almost every buyer was in there and almost and almost all the press people were in there. So they, it, it changed the direction from where they would normally go to a competition film and end up coming to the Eagle Huntress. And about, I would say half hour into the film, people were like crying already, which was great. Because we're always, you know, we're, I know I remember the cinephile, I started looking for where's that moment that they're gonna like feel passionate? And they all did. And it only took one person to go, and the whole audience did the same thing. You know what I mean? It's just one of those moments, right? And then the film is like, you know, you see this, this, you know, eagle soaring, and you get this, and the music. So the film really, you know, played on itself. And then at the end, you know, we brought the family out, and we didn't tell anybody that she was going to be there, and the people went crazy. And then she brought the eagle out. The eagle went, you know, it, it was just one of those things that had just kept going along the way. Um, but it was also, you know, the, the film itself was one that really just delivered, you know, and that the family was willing to do what they needed to do, and they were, you know, able to, they were able to come. And then, you know, we put them, they were walking down the street with the eagle in the arm, so it became that photo op. So there were a lot of, you know, we looked at social media, we wanted to make sure there were some selfie moments that people could put up on Instagram, and it just became that. And so it was one of those things that, you know, that people were like, if you weren't there, you didn't get your picture taken with the, with the eagle. You know, so there were a lot of those types of posters, like, wow, I'm here with, you know, Asia Pan, and, and here's, here they are, you know, here's the eagle, you know, and the different photo shoots, all of a sudden every photo studio wanted that. And they wanted the eagle, um, and the eagle when it lifts its wing, when it spans about six feet or you know wide, and I got hit once, you know. With that. But, um, <laughs> but it was just—it was one of these films that, at the end of the day, though, just kind of translated, and people came out of there cheering. Um, for the Sony Pictures Classics picked it up out of Sundance, um, and then it went on to Carlo Vivari in summer, so it pulled everything down, and it did really well at Carlo Vivari, and then it premiered at Telluride. Uh, in uh, in North America, in the U.S., and then it went to Toronto, but then Sony has gotten behind it. Now they're on this whole awards run, and it's gotten like amazing reviews. There hasn't been any. I haven't seen any bad one, bad review on it. But also to find for award season, Sony Pictures Classic is pouring a lot of money into like ads and trailers and things like that. So one of the things we did, we didn't have this trailer. We had like a another trailer just before Sundance, and we were able to leverage that into a news item to go on IndieWire. So that way, you know, at least when, when the buyers got up to um, Sundance, they would already seen that there was this trailer. So it was kind of like a premiere launch of the trailer. So we try to do that. I'm probably giving away a secret, but anyway, we try to do that with a lot of the films that are about to go out there so that we add another, you know, element of some kind of press that we can get on it before the actual film premieres. Um, so we're able to do that over there. But now this film opened in theaters in New York and in LA on this first weekend, and they did, I want to say it was like $52,000, which was like, uh, I think it was like 26000 per screen because there were two theaters. Now it's been out for 12 days, and it's done 285000 And they keep, it keeps growing, so they'll be going out. You know, So it's one of those documentaries that will actually see a larger audience before it goes on, wherever it's going to go next. Um, but it's also one that we, we knew that the audience was going to take to so. While the audiences were growing in Park City, they gave us another screening that we could get people to, and it just kept 
growing and growing. So we were, we were really fortunate. Like you said, it was a bit of luck, but also we had a really good product. Yeah, from handicapped mm -hmm. positions. I mean, had it been in competition, they probably would have won an audience award or something, but yeah. they weren't. But it's, but it's okay. I think, you know, at the end of the day, they won the prize. You know, they got, they got pickup, they got good reviews, they had champions, and, you know, you had everything. And they went for it. So they didn't get, you know, the grand jury prize, but it was fine. They got what they needed. And it lifted up the kids' section for some reason. Now, now that the section of people will go to. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's one of the next things within documentary that's yeah. going to be very fascinating. Yeah. Kids' documentary, like the Kosakowski is making now. And, but that brings us too far. We're actually over time five minutes and, and so yeah and, and you're still so attentive and me too <laughs> Jesus um, yeah I don't know so so we have to close and we have to stop I want to thank you a lot I have the feeling we could still talk for an hour um, so please a big round of applause for you.